Hello and welcome to the Yarniacs podcast. This is episode 36, which we're, we are recording on Thursday, May 9th. I'm Gail. And I'm Charlene. And we have a special guest on the podcast today, Kim from Western Sky Knits. How are you, Kim? I'm doing good. So today is the kickoff of a special short series that we're doing on the podcast, talking to a couple of our favorite indie yarn dyers to learn more about what the dyeing process entails, what little nuggets we can glean as knitters and fiber lovers, and just to learn more and have more of an appreciation for the art slash craft that you guys spoil us with, with our hand-dyed yarns. And, and some education so that we, as knitters and crocheters and yarn consumers, can come to the table, to our, to our fiber festivals, to our local yarn stores, armed with a little bit of knowledge about how to manage our own expectations about what kind of yarn we're looking for, colors that are realistic, fibers that are realistic to use, and that kind of thing. Exactly. And uh, Kim had mentioned there might be a backhoe in the distance <laughs> at her ranch in Montana, and I apologize if you can hear the garbage truck in the background <laughs> at my house. We're recording at my house today, which is unusual, and I forgot today was garbage day. Oh, well. Sorry about that, everybody. <laughs> So we are going to do our normal segments. So we're going to skip what are you wearing because I'm the only <laughs> one wearing a hand knit. I'm wearing boxy. And let's move right on to what are you stalking? Kim, since you're the guest, let's hear what you're stalking. Okay, so stalking one is a pattern that hasn't been released yet, Nested by Alicia Plum. And I've been stalking her group for people and their projects and looking at all the different yarns they've used. And I've had a couple people on our group that have posted um, their test knits of it. And it's just an open cardigan. I think it has some color work on the back, which you can do or leave out. And I just really like the look of it. So I've been looking at those. And what else? Um, the new Hohi, is it Toujours? Is that how I say it? Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> Uh, so that one has really been um, on my mind, and so I keep looking for new projects uh, for that as well, and trying to figure out what yarn I would use for it, which I'm not quite sure if I want to use a silk blend or not. I don't know. Um, the other one is Julessa, and... Um, I, I remember seeing that one. And I thought, Gail, at Stitches, maybe you bought yarn for what? I bought your yarn. <laughs> <laughs> the Enchanted Forest. It is on my short list of projects to start very soon. Yes, so I've had that on the radar for a while, and I just haven't. I have some Madeline Tosh MCN worsted that I've kind of been thinking about. And then one other was Cape Cod, which is by, um, is it Baby Cottails, I think. Um, it's a newer, it looks like, I think it's a raglan with some lace. I wish I had it in front of me to look at, but it's one of her newer lines, which I, th or patterns, which I think maybe she used plucky with it. I'm not quite sure, but um, it is long sleeve. But in Montana, you can wear long sleeves until the end of July, practically. So yeah, those are the things. And I've been tempted to start a Mad May project and I haven't, I've kind of, not really been able to pick anything yet, so that's yeah. me. I, I haven't started. I'm I'm not going to do a Mad May project either, because yeah. I am knitting something out of your yarn right now that oh. I don't want to put down. Oh, good. <laughs> so that's okay. 
Uh, how about you, Gail? What are you stocking? I honestly have not been stocking anything new because I've been working too much. Yeah, but you have been working too. Toujours is still on the forefront of my mind as well, Kim, because I actually, my husband bought me Mother's Day yarn, so okay. I bought yarn for that knit. And because I love boxy so much with the single ply fingering, I did pick another single ply fingering for Toujours because I know I will wear it all the time. <laughs> so what are you stocking, Charlene? Well, I'm not stocking a lot right now. I'm still stocking the new Amy Herzog patterns. A second one has come out called Afterlight, which is knit in Lorna Lace's Soulmate. And this one is a little pullover top, and Soulmate is a fingering weight yarn. So it's a very lightweight pullover top with a little gathered v-neck. And I'm kind of considering that one. It's really cute. Oh, speaking of which, I should have said this at the beginning of the episode. Amy, thank you so much. Yes. You are so <laughs> I was going to bring that up, too. Yeah, she gifted her Aislinn to both me and to Charlene, her Aislinn Actually, actually she gave me the afterlife. Oh, there yeah. we go. Yeah. So thank yeah. you so much, Amy. That was incredibly thoughtful. Yeah, yeah. And let's see, the second thing, well, I am still stalking shawls i guess springtime brings out the shawls Me too. it's crazy because <laughs> i'm still stocking shawls i found an interesting one called askew by lisa mooch much mooch and it is knit one half of the shawl is knit in garter stitch and one half of the shawl is knit in stockinette stitch and since garter stitch is naturally shorter than stockinette stitch the pattern goes slightly askew, which is the name of the pattern, askew, and makes an oh, uneven pretty. triangular shape. Yeah. And it's just a one-color shawl, but I think that would be really fun. I, I really like textural elements, and with the stockinette next to the garter, you get that look. So I think it would be a really fun one-color shawl. But that's all I'm stocking. Well, that was a short stop. That is. I wonder how many of you out there are thinking, whew, my cue didn't grow that much this week. <laughs> so from stocking to what are you knitting, Kim? Um, I have been slowly working on a balmy, which is another Alicia Plum pattern. Um, I have been knitting it for a while, I'm afraid to say, but I did get, it has quite a bit of ribbing. It's um, worked bottom up and I finished the ribbing, which took me quite a while. And then I am partway through the body and I'm not quite sure why I keep setting it down and then starting something else. Um, <laughs> but I do. And then I have a pair of socks. Um, they are just a plain ribbed, I used an Ann bud pattern uh -huh. um, from one of her basic socks. Yeah. And um, I'm enjoying that. But again, I got to the heel and then I sat that down. And then I have a barnwood hat that I have just started, which the barnwood hat, it's a hat and cowl set. Again, Alicia Plum. And I'm lucky in the sense that my two sister-in-laws live in New Zealand. And so as we go into summer, they are going into winter. So I can still knit wintry things for them. So yeah. that's what I am working on. Well, that's a good broad list. You have socks, a hat, and a hat sweater. And a sweater. <laughs> I like that. 
And Charlene, I see what you're knitting, but tell us all again. I am knitting my neon cardigan pattern by Hohi Locatelli, yarn courtesy of Kim at Western Sky Knits. And I am currently working on a sleeve right now. And I'm keep looking at my, well, I'm, I've just started the sleeve. I put the sleeve stitches back on my needles yesterday and I went up two needle sizes and I'm still considering if that's enough because I still think that I'm getting a tighter gauge knitting my sleeve in the round than I am knitting back and forth. So I'm not really sure. It might be just because it's all bunched together. Yeah, it's hard to tell until you get a yeah, nice yeah. length to compare it with. Yeah, so I'm sitting here spreading it out. And actually, two needle sizes looks about right. Yeah, I can't I tell the okay. difference. Well, there you go. <laughs> and we can't comment on that even though I have a neon because a customer knit it for me. Right. So I do uh, love it. I was surprised at how warm it actually is. Yeah. And I thought a sweater with that kind of um, stitch pattern maybe would be, cooler. I don't know, cooler. Yeah. But um, I wore it at the DFW Fiberfest, and I um, was surprised at how warm it kept me, actually. Yeah, it yeah. seems like it would be very well ventilated, but it is a very <laughs> toasty sweater. Yeah, so I'm really happy with both the yarn and the pattern so far. And let's say yesterday we had the awesome good fortune to meet Alex, who is under Dutch skies on Ravelry. She's a frequent commenter in our group on Ravelry. And Ian, who is KG Mama on Ravelry. They met us at the Swift Stitch in Santa Cruz yesterday and oh. had like a neon comparison party <laughs> and Charlene, I brought mine, Charlene had her work in progress and another Nancy from the Nancy, Swift Stitch. Nancy, who is Bisbee on Ravelry, who works at the Swift Stitch. She is also knitting a neon and hers is a bright yellow. Mine is violently violet. And, and mine is deep jewel pink coquette Madeline Posh. So we had. So they were gorgeous together. Yeah, the, three of them, the three of them sitting next to each other on the counter was just almost breathtaking. It they was. were so pretty. And then Kim's, yours is green, right? It is bright, yeah, bright yeah, green. So all these different colors. Yeah. <laughs> it was really I cool. have to say, at the Fiberfest, so many people approached me. What is that sweater? What is that pattern? And I know at least several people. Um, they had a talk at the uh, in the evening, and several people at the talk said, I already cast on for one of these. Oh, wow. Cool. Well, and at Stitches when you were there, a lot of people were talking about buying yarn for neon, and I know at least a couple people were in your booth buying yarn for neon, weren't they? Including yeah, Charlotte. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Very fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I am, are you needing anything else? No. Well, nothing that I brought. Okay. I am still knitting my test knit for Andrea Black's Summer Dawn cardigan, and she is Lacuna on Ravelry. I'm really enjoying this. I did have to pay very close attention to the knitting until I got to the sleeve separation because there is lace work, <coughs> sorry, contiguous sleeve shaping, body shaping, a lot of things going on in the pattern up until you separate for the sleeve, and now it's just smooth sailing. There's still lace in the back, but it's a very easy-to-memorize lace pattern, and if I'm saying it's easy to memorize, you know it's easy <laughs> to memorize. And I'm loving the yarn, loving the knit, and I'm just super, super happy with it. So that's what I'm knitting, and I've been focused pretty much on that solely because, of course, it's Mad May, so mm. there we go. 
All right, so now let's see, what have we finished? I haven't finished anything since the last episode because we it's been less than a week since we recorded is my excuse, although I still wouldn't have had anything yeah, finished if it had been two weeks, I don't think. So we're going to skip that segment today and let's move right into asking Kim some questions about the dying process. And well, First of all, why don't you tell us a little bit about how Western Sky Knits came to be and how you ended up becoming an indie dyer? Well, it all started, let's see, probably six years ago um, when I had my son Tristan and I decided to cloth diaper him. And in the cloth diapering community, the kids wear little soakers and pants called longies and they're made out of wool. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't know how to knit and I didn't know how to dye, but I really wanted a pair of longies for my son. (laughs) So I thought I would just um, buy the yarn and then you can pay somebody else to knit them for you. And in the process, I thought I maybe would also learn to knit. And once I started researching it and figuring out how much it cost, all of a sudden my child was going to be wearing a pair of like $125 pants. (laughs) (laughs) So I just thought, well, I couldn't have many pairs of those. And I thought, well, I could probably, I knew I wanted to learn to knit anyways, just because there were, it kind of opened up the world of knitting to me. And so my husband's great aunt who lived next door taught me how to knit. Um, and longies are actually not the easiest thing. There's, you know, you learn quite a, there's short rows and gussets and all these things. Um, so I learned quite a bit actually learning how to knit them. And then I realized, well, the yarn is like $55. Oh my gosh, I should be able to do this. And so I just kind of decided to start dyeing some yarn for myself. And it was a lot harder than I thought. And there was a lot of trial and error and um, just kind of a learning curve and figuring out what worked well for me and some yarn being thrown away. And um, that's kind of where the idea came from. And then it was through the cloth diapering that I met Heather, who's also part of Western Sky Knits. And though she lives in Texas and we just decided, uh, why don't we open up a shop together? And so we did on a site called Hyena Cart that is mostly caters to um, cloth diapering and children's clothes and things of that nature. And so that's kind of where it started from. And then it's just grown as our children have grown up and obviously are no longer cloth diapered. Um, started getting into superwash and knitting sweaters and these other things. And as as we as our kids grew older, you know, the same thing for our customers. A lot of our customer base has gotten into knitting socks and sweaters and things like that. And so now yeah. it seems like I've moved more towards those types of knits versus the um, yarns maybe used for knitting longies. So did you find that a lot of your cloth diapering community has remained a loyal customer base and they've all kind of grown into that type of knitting? Yes, absolutely. And I think if you go to our um, group on Ravelry, you notice there's, I've had several people say, well, there's so many kids knits because a lot of those people, their kids are, you know, were similar in age to mine, a little older, a little younger. So there's lots of kids sweaters and kids, you know, things like that with the occasional adult thrown in. But yes, I have some of the same customers that I probably knit when, when we first started, I actually knit things for other people and dyed yarn. And I still have customers that I knit for them six years ago, you know, so they've stuck with us. Oh, that's That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And you've done a lot of test knitting for children's patterns, haven't you? 
Yes, yes. Lately, I've been doing adult ones, that, so that's good, too. My kids have been kind of boycotting wearing some. But, um, yeah, for the boys, there's just not as many cute boy patterns out, so I really kind of jumped, in, jumped on and tried to encourage any pattern writer or designer that I see that's maybe coming out with a boy pattern and, you know, can't wait to try it out. So Yeah. So it sounds like your next step might be into the design world. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, I don't. I couldn't even imagine writing a pattern or anything that goes into that. I have I barely have enough time, it seems like, to keep um, keep up with the Western Sky Knit stuff. I enjoy knitting and I enjoy um, test knitting and I, maybe I'm an instant gratification type of person. So if I see something, I, maybe I don't want to wait for the pattern to come out. So that's why I want to test knit it so I can have immediate gratification and get to work with it. I find that sometimes, too. That's why I'm knitting Summer Dawn. I just have to have a sweater. <laughs> exactly. Now, and most of the yarn dyeing you do is with, um, like, what types of dyes? Acid dyes or? Acid dyes, yes. I've never used any kind of natural dye. I'm trying to think whether I've ever used even tea or coffee, and I don't think I have. Um, I've just mostly stuck with acid dyes, which sound scary, Um when you say acid, but it just means vinegar. So it's either vinegar or citric acid is needed to um, get the dye to set. Both heat and acid have to be added to the powder. So, yeah. Well, it's, obviously you'd be using a safe dye because most of your dyes were for children's knits in the beginning. Yes. So obviously it's going to be safe against your skin. Yes, yes. The only, you know, I don't even know if it's considered dangerous in that sense, but is inhaling the powder as you mix any kind of fine powder is not healthy to right. inhale. So you wear a mask um, while you're mixing up the powder with the hot water. And I, I usually make dye stocks. Um, I don't. So I'm not mixing every single time I dye. I try to big oh, yeah. batches of stock so that I don't have to do it each day. And I have in my studio, which was originally a bunkhouse for the ranch, I have a big main room for dyeing. And then there's lots of little rooms off. And one of them is a bathroom, which is where I keep all the dyes so I can even shut the door, put on the mask if the children are over here and mix up all the dye powders. You know, that brings up a point. We should mention that you are in Montana. Heather is in Texas. Texas. Mm -hmm. And that you you guys market together. But I don't know. Do you want to say a little bit? You mentioned that you die in an old bunkhouse. You want to talk about a little bit about where you are situated? Oh, sure. So we are in, well, I guess technically it's con called Lenup, but the town of Lenup consists of nothing really except for maybe school. I mean, there's a schoolhouse and there's a couple of houses. There's nothing really there. And uh, Martinsdale would be the closest town 15 miles away. And that's really just a post office and houses and, you know, community hall. And so I am on a cattle ranch um, that is 150 years old or probably more now. And um, it's my husband's family that came from Norway. And so it's um, a big cattle ranch. And we also have a guest ranch as well. And so I am lucky in the fact that I, when I wanted to move the yarn dyeing out of my house, which my husband encouraged, um, <laughs> I actually had, you know, outbuildings in the ranch that yeah. I could take over. So the bunkhouse had really just been a storage for all things not wanted or needed on the ranch. Right. And um, it took a bit of renovating and cleaning out, really, and... Um, 
painting and some things and I had, you know, ovens installed and whatnot, but, um, it was nice to have that ability of other dyers have to go and rent a place or, right. <laughs> you know, and I just get to walk across my driveway, you yeah. know, to the bunkhouse, which is, that's, which is great. That's really nice. I, as someone who has always lived in an urban environment, I found your story just fascinating. Yeah, exactly. Moving up to Montana and living with this family business that has been in your husband's family for a while. So yeah, I found it interesting. (laughs) Very different from the Bay Area, that's for sure. So the convenience factor is gone, although Amazon Prime most certainly helps with the convenience factor. (laughs) But um, you can't really just run out and pick something up. I need a new pot. I think I'll just run and run over to, you know, Target and grab something. Right. That, just, that doesn't happen. So Target, Walmart, you know, it, the closest town of that size is 75 miles away yeah. each way. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's just, just different lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> so now back to the yarn. I love, I, I also share in Charlene's fascination and interest in that whole setup because night and day, I don't know if I could do it. I don't think I could. Maybe for a short period of time, but. <laughs> well, I didn't think I could either. When I came out, it was just like, well, I'll see if I like this. Yeah. And it's really not with the internet and our guest ranch also has helped in the sense that we have so many people from all over the world that come. Right. Um, I guess I don't feel so isolated because I'm meeting people from Germany and England and we also do on the ranch exchange students um, an ag exchange so we've had from New Zealand and England and the last um, guy was from Sweden and they come and they have dinner with us and the kids get to know them for eight months you know so it doesn't feel so isolated yeah oh that's neat I didn't know that that you had exchange students that's it I would love to do that. We'll host yeah. one eventually. <laughs> not not high school. They're like um, usually in their mid twenties, right? Uh, oh, college yeah. programs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, so okay. then to so, take it back to dyeing, yes. Yes, what types of fibers, yarn bases, and fibers? Because I know we have spinners who listen too. What are the main categories that you dye? Um, let's see. So which, which types in the sense of like what types of fiber? Okay. Yeah. So the main brands we have are mostly Merino and we have some blends that are MCN. So that's superwash, uh, Merino, cashmere, and nylon, some blends with silk as far. And those are mostly the yarns. I do carry a VFL, um, that is non superwash and, for a while, I carried a Falkland. I tried that out, and I did like it, but then sometimes I felt like I was spreading myself too thin with too many different bases, mm-hmm. and so I you know, have stuck mostly with the cashmere and the silk, and the BFL is a favorite of um, people that uh, knit longies. They like the BFL. It's a pretty strong yarn. And from a personal perspective, what weight is that BFL? Um, it's an Aran. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Kind of yeah, heavily heavy worsted Aaron. I'm trying to think if it's about four ounces, two hundred and ten yards per skein. Okay. And it's a nice lofty um, yarn. I enjoy. I've thought about knitting myself a sweater. If it can hold up to a kid in diapers crawling around, I figure yeah. that's a big thing for a sweater. <laughs> yes, <laughs> doubt. And that would make a really toasty hat too. Yes. Yeah. And then we carry also several different um, bases. Um, Meadow Mountain wool which is out of wyoming and it's like a co-op they pull from area farmers and that's more of a rustic merino 
Um, it's great. It's not super wash. It doesn't hardly pill at all. And then um, also Chestari, I believe that's how you say it, which is back east. And that's also a merino that's a little more rustic. Wow. So those are U.S. sourced. They are. Like supporting <laughs> small farmers type of. Yes. Oh, that's that, awesome. That's especially what the, when the Meadow Mountain Wool started out, and I'm not sure if it's still the same owners, but when it first started out, it was two women that started together and then sourced local sheep farmers. And so it was a great, I had heard maybe that they sold it to someone, but I don't really know if that's true, but it's a great um, small business to support. And then also I occasionally do carry Targi, which comes actually from my area and Sweetgrass Wools is based in Helena, which is about 75 miles from me and I believe some of the sheep herds that she uses are actually probably within 30 miles of me wow. um, and I have used that on and off as well wow that is cool yeah, yeah it's expensive that's that's part of the problem too is balancing that it's if it's expensive for me to buy it then for me to be able to sell it after I die it that you know right. is is kind of hard as well yeah yeah but I'm trying as I learn more about the different types of fibers and sheep breeds and everything I'm really trying to put part of my yarn budget aside to support things like that because it's important and if we don't it's not going to continue it is yes so okay so it sounds like you have a very good balance of superwash and non-superwash bases mm -hmm. so that's correct and usually for shows though we've only brought superwash because that's what seems like most people want so um in the past though but for fiber there's tons of different fibers as for spinners like Polworth and all those types of um, spinning fibers. And so I carry, you know, so many different kinds of that. Yeah. Um, but not so, so we spoke to you a little bit about this before we started recording, yes. but it has come up in our Ravelry group that people have started to chat about the differences in the way that wool takes dye, specifically non-superwash wools as opposed to superwash wools. Yes. And there are a lot of more mainstream dyers that are dyeing predominantly superwash, and they're known for their colors, very vibrant colors. And it seems like we've heard that superwash takes the dyes differently. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, the superwash, and it must be the superwash process that does this to the yarn. Um, because that's really the only difference I can see. It it takes it up very quickly. Um, if you have heat and acid and you put in the superwash, it just sucks it up. It takes a lot more dye than a non-superwash uh, wool would need, and it takes it up so fast, um, just kind of the blink of an eye. And um, so you need to use a lot more to get a good coverage on it. For example, if you had laid it out um, some superwash yarn and just kind of poured it on the top, mm -hmm. it would usually soak it up so fast that if you turned it over, it would still be white on the bottom. Oh, wow. And, um, so, and that wouldn't happen with a non-superwash, really. Usually that soaks through quite nicely and you don't have to really work at it. Um, so it works great when you're doing things like... Um, pouring a glaze kind of color over dye, you know, it takes it quickly, it strikes, that's what the term is, it strikes quickly and um, you can get the effects you want. And I also find it's nice because you can eyeball it. You can pour a little, see what it looks like, pour a little more. And with non-superwash, non it takes much longer. So it's hard to find if it was in a whole bunch of water and you were kind of pouring different colors over the top. Often if it doesn't take it up fast, then everything just turns brown 
you know, because they're all mixing together. So it's very hard to replicate some types of colorways maybe that you would have. Um, it doesn't always carry over just due to the uptake of the dye, if that makes sense. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that is. So I'm trying to picture this. When you you talk about pouring the dyes, mm -hmm. like how many – I'm trying to figure out how labor-intensive this is for you. Well, like <laughs> I go to a show and mm -hmm. I pick up, for example, when we were setting up at Stitches, the colors would be in sets of four because you dyed – four skeins of this particular type of yarn base. And if I, as a customer, wanted the whole dye lot to match, you would mm -hmm. say, like, these four went together. So mm -hmm. is that, I mean, so do you only dye when you say, I'm going to dye blue? Mm -hmm. You do them always in sets of four? Well, it's how many can fit in the pot together, which also depends on the type of pot I'm using, which also depends on the colorway I'm doing. So it all, I'm afraid that, I mean, I use so, it seems like I am using different techniques for different things a lot. And I don't know if other dyers do it that way, or if I'm just a little manic and my, <laughs> my dye or scatter yeah. maybe is a better thing. But I feel like I'm always trying out different things. And I, especially for shows, I don't like to be locked into a complete list. Mm -hmm. I like to just experiment, which is also a problem because then people ask to have it again. And I have no idea what I did. I was just kind of <laughs> having fun and throwing them in, you know, the dye pot, but right. there's huge, you know, big stock pots. And so those could hold, you know, depending on, I don't have any, I've seen some dyers have some really, really huge ones and mine are not that big, but I can usually comfortably fit five skeins in. I have some that are more long rectangular pots that really four to five is the limit. If you try to put in too many, then, then they still don't match because they've covered up each other. Yeah. Um, I guess, I guess the point is not necessarily that I'm saying, Oh, is it always yes. four? Or is it always five? It's just, it's you're when you work on like say one dye lot you're really working on it individually i mean you're talking one one dyeing sitting for this color and like then one you, batch one batch yeah and then it's 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 very it's very personalized <laughs> yes well and it's very hard to get it you can have two pots next to each other and i can say i'm dyeing this colorway and they're right next to each other and i'm going to pour blue and then pour blue and then pour black, you know, so I could try to get them to match each other so that theoretically that could be a set of eight that would match and they still won't turn out the same. Right. It's, I don't know the, you know, what the slight differences could be. It could be one paw was hotter than the other. Yeah. But that is, yeah, that's pretty much how, um, I guess it does come out in the sets. If I'm well, I understand that even with knitting, you could sit two knitters down with the same needles and the same yarn yeah. who supposedly have knit this yarn to the exact same tension before, and it might be different. So there's always variation. There's always a variation, yes. and that's what makes hand dyers unique. Yes, but I, and, and, I, and I do recognize that, but as a knitter myself, I mean, I definitely understand the frustration when I feel it too, when I want a set that matches so I don't have to alternate or I don't, you know, or one that looks totally different than the others and you don't want to use that on the arms. Where do you work it in? You know, as a knitter, I totally understand that kind of, you know, irritation, frustration or, you know, planning that changes with yeah. the way you do a project, you know, so... <laughs> 
there's pluses and minuses. For I sure. guess so. I I think I as a knitter, I don't find that frustrating. Perhaps as a newbie knitter, I yeah. find it frustrating. But once I understand, like every time I talk to you and hear a little bit about your process, I understand a little bit more. I appreciate a little bit more. And as a knitter, I think I'm to the place now where even though I have four skeins that are supposedly all dyed together, it doesn't freak me out anymore yes. to look at them and see that these two are a little bit lighter and then I just pick out which two I want to start with and how I want to work with them together. It, it yeah. Now it's just part of my process that I expect to go through knowing that I'm knitting a hand-dyed unique yarn. Well, Kim said planning. I think that's the right word for it. Yeah. You have to, if you're knitting with hand-dyed yarn, you have to plan accordingly. Yeah. I always take my skeins before I wind them up, lay them out. If there are any big glaring differences, then I always plan for that. I say that, oh, I want these skeins for the sleeves. I want this skein nearest to my face. Yep. And then plan if the whole garment's going to be alternated. If if the skeins are different enough, the whole garment will be alternated or if just sections will be alternated or just alternate sections as I change skeins. It's To me as a knitter now, it's just part of my process. And I think that's part of this. It's just educating your consumer and having that consumer be open to that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and I think probably that you're right about the education and because I run into it so much, it shows, you know, well, why is this different? And it says that they're the same name, but they look a little bit different to me, you know? And I think it probably is a lot of newer knitters that, um, either don't, you know, they don't understand alternating and maybe they've never even heard of alternating, right. you know? Right. And so, but at least I appreciated a show. You have a chance to explain to them, you know, this is how you eliminate that or, you know, right. work with this type of yarn. Right. Now, you were mentioning stockpots and, and different equipment. Now, yeah. as far as I'm aware, and you're going to be able to tell us much better, the different types of dyeing methods. So we hear a lot about kettle dyeing, space dyeing. I know self-striping is its whole yes. own creation. <laughs> what is it that you mostly do? Um, mostly, I guess I would say mostly kettle dyeing. But I've kind of, I have some kind of hybrid, I guess you would say hybrid. When I think of kettle dyeing, but it seems like each dyer has kind of what they call kettle dyeing. I may not call kettle dyeing, but right. um, like a big pot to me and the dye is poured in the big pot and lots of water and the yarn is submerged to me kind of would be, I guess, kettle dyeing. But I also do, and I would call it kettle dyeing as well, where I have... Um, pots and I probably only fill them up like halfway and I lay the yarn in and I just pour the dye in different colors over there over the yarn and allow it to kind of mingle as it will without really touching it too much um, and I guess the differences in those would be like some would be more tonal maybe I'm only adding two colors to the big pot and I may poke at it with a spoon and move it around. And then where the other ones where maybe there's four colors, I try not to poke at those too much because like I said, then it mixes too much. Right, um, right. And there's more of a shallow pot. Um, yeah. So I guess I would consider those both still kettle dyeing, but I guess yeah. one would have more than more of a tonal um, yarn finish and the other would be almost a colorway finish, but still mingly. Yeah. So don't think mingly is a word, but I'm going to use it. <laughs> I like it. You can make it into a word. So it sounds like if you have the big pot, 
where you yeah. might poke at, a, at it with the spoon a little more is more of a tonal result. And yes. the longer pots that aren't, mm -hmm. don't have as much water and don't get as much poking, does that result in more of a variegated? Yes, yarn? yes, a variegated, but not um, not so much where, like, if you hand paint or if you did, um, uh, some people do dip dyeing or space dyeing, and they, like, hang a portion of the yarn in the pot, let that complete, then switch colors, and there's a clear line between the two colors. Um if I am, I, that's what I mean by, I guess, the hybrid in the sense that okay. it's a color way, but it still has some mingling right. in different parts right. of the yarn. Right. Yeah. And okay. I've seen yarns like that when you open it up in the skein, when mm -hmm. the dyer hasn't reskeined it, and you yeah. clearly see like a quarter of the yarn is one color, it, and this portion of it is a different, another color, yeah. and this quarter yes. is another color. I've, I've seen that. And if you go, for our listeners, if you go into a yarn store or a festival, or wherever, and you open up a skein, sometimes you can you can really see that differentiation. Mm -hmm. And what's on the top and what's on the bottom, you yes. know, that turns out completely different. Right, right, total different colors. Now, so that that actually brings up a question I have about reskeining. But before mm -hmm. I ask that question, can you give us like a really high level walkthrough of you have a bare skein of yarn in your hands mm -hmm. and you want to dye it to mm -hmm. sell it? What is like the high level process? You don't need to give us specific details, but I'm really curious about how you take a like each step. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So I get it from the mill usually on cones for the most part. Um, and I have, um, skating wonders that are electric and my I have uh, several girls that help me um just for a couple hours a week and they will wind them up for me and put on the ties in the you know amounts that I want and then I uh, soak them so you need to wet them down so just and, regular water or do you yep, have a I use just regular water some people will put the acid in the soak water and whatnot but I I don't um, and some people add a little bit of soap. And again, I don't, I sometimes do with the yarns that are the more rustic non superwash yarns cause they can still have some oils, um, in them. So, um, soak them so they're wetted all the way through. Um, then I choose, you know, how I'm going to dye them, you know, stick them in the pot or if I'm hand painting, if I'm hand painting, I usually wring them out first because if they're sopping wet and you try to hand paint, everything just spreads everywhere. So hand painting, it works quite a bit better if they are damp, but not sopping wet. Um, and so then I dye them and then I have to heat set them, whether it be sticking them in the oven or sticking them there in the pot and that heats them. Uh, then you have to wait till they cool down. Then you need to rinse them out and use soap for that. And then I have a little spinner that will spin all the water out of them so they're just damp and then they dry much faster. So dry them out, hang them up to dry, basically. Um, if it's nice here for the two months in Montana that it's warm out, I will put them out on the line. Um, and um, otherwise they dry inside. And then once they're dry, then I will have the girls either re-skein them or just twist them and put labels on. Then if you're selling them online, you need to take the pictures and edit the pictures, upload the pictures. It can be a long process. Yeah, and that's, I think, the point of Hale's question. Yes. Both of us, as we, as knitters, when you start out, 
you buy the pretty yarn, it's pretty, you make your garment, you love it, and then you start learning a little bit about it. And the hand-dyed process, I'm always amazed when I pick up a skein of yarn that has been hand-dyed and think about how much work, Gail and I have talked about how much work has gone into this one skein of yarn. If you're when in particular when we bought yarn at Stitches West, we were trying to figure out how well traveled this skein mm-hmm. of yarn had been. How many hands yeah. had works on that skein because of yarn? We were we were trying to figure out, you know, all the energy that this has this one skein of yarn has taken to produce. It it came from the farm. It went to processing. It, from processing, it went to the dyer, went from the dyer to the festival. <laughs> Sometimes it goes in shipping. I mean, it's yeah. it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's not a one day process, no. especially for me. Even it's not. You know, it's a quite a few day process. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, and honestly, as a as an independent business business woman, my end question, to Charlene, was how does Kim make any money? <laughs> yeah. It's it's crazy that. You know, a lot of knitters gasp at the price of hand-dyed yarns, and I do sometimes also because, of course, I only have so much money I can spend on yarn. But the other half of me says it should be twice as much because of all the effort that goes into it. Yes, it is. I am very lucky in the sense that, like I said, I have this free building, you know, and if my pipes break, I have a a husband who also has several employees that actually can, I don't have to call a plumber unless it's something really big. But, um, you know, and so that is at least a cost issue that I don't have to deal with. Uh, The ranch has a natural spring that funds the water, so I'm not paying for any water either. You know, um, my electricity is absorbed by the ranch as well because this is next to the big shop, you know, that handles all the machinery. Um, So for me, I am able to work it, you know, well. And when it was in my house, I guess it just became, some of those costs were just part of my household costs, you know. Right. Um, And I am lucky with my one um, employee is actually, um, she's going off to college and it'll be very sad, but she is part of a program in the state that helps uh, young, low-income kids get jobs in local businesses. And so part of her pay I pay her some and they pay her some and the state, you know, just wants to get kids out in the community and working. And so I'm part of that program. So that's helped me and helped her um, as well. But I do, it's hard to judge, like you said, the time. I'm not really clocking hours in the sense of, you know, coming in at seven o'clock and checking out at five. I've got kids in for an hour, then I have to go to the bus stop. Then I'm, you know. (laughs) I think I'm making money. I'm not losing money. You know, it's hard to judge it all. Does it all yeah. pan out? You know? But I enjoy doing it, so that's part of it. You know? yeah, right, it's, right. There's a lot to be said for doing what you love as a job and making enough to justify being able to do that. I mean, that's huge. And that's what I would say. I make enough to justify doing it, to yeah. be able to buy the buy the other yarn, because I do also buy yarn from other dyers. So for me, it works, and I can buy yarn from Madeline Tosh and Plucky and other people. And, you know, I spin as well, so I can, you know, have these other crafting things that I like to right. do and use the money, you know, for that. Right. So, well, I, for one, greatly admire all that goes into each of the lovely skeins. <laughs> now, one other question that has always just irked me, because I personally have a very difficult time visualizing things. Like mm-hmm. someone can tell me, oh, it's these colors in this 
variation and I just cannot picture it. So Charlene just whips out, oh, you reskein it. Look, and she'll pull out a, a, a skein of yarn. So for example, Lorna's laces, they sell in their shop. Mm-hmm. And yes. she's used this as an example. She'll open up. So for those of you who That's... don't work in yarn stores, it's the, <laughs> the wound up hank you hold in your hand at the yarn store. You can mm-hmm. open that at the yarn store to open it and hold it so that it's this long piece of of circle. circle. Exactly. There you go. Thank you. So it's a circle of yarn and you can really see the colors much better than when it's wrapped, twisted into that hank. Right. And Lorna's is actually what I was thinking of when I was talking about before. If you take the hank and you open it up into a big circle, a lot of their colors are very um, not intermingled. They're very very distinct. You can see this quarter of the yarn is yellow and this quarter Mm -hmm. is red and this quarter is blue and this color is green. Um, And you can see immediately that that yarn has not been reskained, that it's in the skein as it was dyed. And some Mm -hmm. vendors reskein. And I know you told us that you had a a special machinery that you, not machinery, but the reskainer. Yep, the winder. So you take it off of a swift, and then the same one that the girls use to take it off the cone that's electric. Right, right. You, If you put the hank on another swift, then you just change the circumference size. That's what the I winder, yes. <laughs> and that's how it would then redistribute the colors. Okay. So for those of you out there who are visually challenged as I am, so basically in that circle, you see, like Charlene was saying, very distinct colors and you can see clearly, OK, this strip was colored in orange and this was in purple, for example. Now, when that is reskained, to mm-hmm. me, it looks like variegated yarn. So when I see it laid out in a circle, I visualize stripes. But when you reskain that yarn, it is completely different and obviously not going to give you a striped fabric. So I've had that misconception for years and I think it wasn't until the last stitches that I really got it because across from you, there was a woman reskaining her yarn at the show and I saw it go from the circle and different colors to the mixed up wound up Hank. It was like, that's what it means. Yes. Yeah. So variegated does not, or space dyed does not equal Stripes. stripes. Right. Right. I guess it could, depending on what you were knitting. I mean, it's all mathematical in that sense. Like, you could probably make it stripe if you knit something really, really tiny. tiny. Yeah, exactly. So, but for me, I just saw it in stripes. Well, what I consider yes. to be stripes in the open circle. And it's mm-hmm. not striped yarn. So, if anyone else out there has that misconception, I hope that <laughs> cleared it up. Because self-striping, of course, is a whole nother subject, a whole nother yes. beast that's non-trivial. And that I will never try. <laughs> and it looks very complicated and way... When you talk about how does someone make money doing that, when I read tutorials on how to do self-striping money, uh, yarn, sock yarn or whatever, I think, how in the world? Because that just takes so much time and, you know... 
a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. Like, and then when people rewind their self-striping yarn into a ball so that you can actually see. Yes. Yeah. It's like, that's just one more step. Hand winding that ball of yarn yeah. must have taken them <laughs> a considerable amount of time. I actually just bought some from New Zealand and I wish I could remember the name of the dyer, but um, off of Etsy. And I was like, I will not be trying this myself. I will buy some from you and it looks lovely. And I'm impressed and I'm grateful that people, you know, wish to do it. Yeah. Uh, I'm not one of them, but um, I would love to buy it from someone else and knit with it. Yeah, if sure. anyone has any interest in kind of hearing about that process, Dana and Brittany of the Just, pardon me, Just One More Row podcast, mm -hmm. Dana is a dyer. Unwind Yarn Company is the name of her company. I've not tried her yarn yet, but she did give a pretty good tutorial of the process of that that really made me appreciate that $30 for a skein of self-striping yarn is really a deal. <laughs> yeah, there's several, if you Google it, you can see there are several people that have blogs, you know, that have taken pictures and the warping boards or tying it into little, you know, sections. Yeah. And Because I have done a little bit of research on it, and that was the conclusion that I came to, that, wow, this, this takes a lot. Yeah, and gradient yarn, I would think, would be a similar beast. Yeah, I would think so as well. That's another one I haven't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, those those also tend to lend themselves to certain types of knitting. You know, if you're knitting socks, yeah. if you're knitting, yeah, something where the stripes are really going to work. I knit a lot of garments, and self-striping yarn doesn't really lend itself to that. Yeah. So. Yeah. So... Western society. We wanted to. Did you have questions all about why I reskained? Sorry, I didn't mean to. Well, no, I was just wanting to understand the process of reskaining and what it means visually. So thank yeah. you for describing yeah. that. I appreciate it. So Western Sky Knits as a whole, I know you market with Heather, mm -hmm. um, who dies in Texas. Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering. Tell us. Tell us specifically. Anything you would like our listeners to know about your product? What is unique to your product? What what would you like us to know? Oh, jeez, that's a hard one. Um, We're putting you on the I know, spot, that's aren't we? You are. Well, yes, I don't know what is. I think colors are unique um, in the sense that I I mix a lot from you know I don't know if scratch is the right word, but my own recipes and. Um, Ever-changing process for me is something that I don't know that all dyers do. It seems like a lot of dyers, you know, have their process and, and stick with it, and that's kind of their thing. And, um, and maybe then that becomes something that they're known for. But I'm afraid I'm always changing it up whether, you know, I'm hand-painting or pouring it over or sprinkling the dye right on or, you know, I think that um, – there's a lot of different um, types of colors and, I guess, colorways that we carry. And um, also a lot of different bases that we do carry. We don't, like we said, we don't always stock the non-superwash, but um, do have them. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know. <laughs> well, that's nice because uh, if we go to your booth in one year, from one year to the next, people mm -hmm. who consumers who go to your booths at the mm -hmm. festivals they're going to see something new each time right so or, that's nice or even your website your etsy site yes yeah, i feel like we're ever changing and you know trying new stuff and um it's great to have a partner to be able to talk with 
about like call her up and say, Hey, I tried this new way, you know, of dying this, and this is how it worked. Or, you know, she tries something new or something that didn't work. You know, how would you fix this? And it's neat to be able to bounce, you know, the ideas off of each other. It would be great. It would even be better if we live near each other, but um, <laughs> it makes, it makes when we go to the Archers shows really fun to be able yeah. to hang out, you know, in person. But um, yeah. Well, and I just love your colors, obviously. I mean, I've knit, two of your different bases in different colors, and I have my Enchanted Forest in my stash waiting to become a Julissa. So I just, and everybody has heard us mention many times the joy and delight we had helping you set up at Stitches with all that yarn we got to yeah. touch and see and appreciate, and oh, it was just fabulous. It was wonderful having you guys help us, and it was great, you know, as you saw with my father there helping us as well. You know, it's nice to be nice. able to have somebody that actually knows when you say, put the worsted over there, you know. Um, you you can't do that with somebody that isn't a knitter or doesn't right. understand. You know, you have to just say, okay, you put the hooks up. Yeah. So it's but nice. it was great having a non-yarny to actually like, yes. get lunch and things like that. <laughs> it was, yes. <laughs> Yes. Well, Kim, thank you so very much for taking the time to be on the show. We really appreciate it. As you know, we just adore you and your yarn and Heather. And it was just such a pleasure to have you here and educating us and our listeners. And I hope everybody appreciated what you had to tell us. I have learned so much through our little chats and, you know, all the little times when you have just said, I do it this way. I just have, I feel like I have a much greater appreciation for the whole process. And when I look at a skein that has been hand dyed, just a real, I keep saying appreciation. No, that's exactly how I feel too. I feel much more armed, knowledgeable. And it, helps has helped me in my knitting process because now I approach hand dyed yarns with that knowledge yep. that I will have to do a little planning beforehand. And it doesn't, like I said, I said this before, but it doesn't bother me. It doesn't, I just accept that as part of the process and part of the beauty of the yarn. And for anyone listening who hasn't tried hand dyed yarn, I can't recommend it highly enough because the yarn you buy in like a box store, for example, which has a dye lot and you can pretty much buy it two months later. And if it's the same dye lot, it will pretty much be exactly the same color is much different. It doesn't, it's still pretty. I'm not saying it's not, but it doesn't have the life of hand dyed yarn or the depth. I, think. I was just going to say the tonal mm-hmm. depth is what I have come to love about hand dyed yarn. And when I see even yarn that's marketed as hand dyed, but doesn't have the depth, I just think, wow, how could you want to knit with this yarn? Because it's so lifeless. It's so flat. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say that. It's obviously my personal opinion, but there we go. So if you haven't tried hand dyed, I highly recommend it. Yes, I do too. And please give Western Sky Knits a look over. Um, Kim, do you want to mention your website? Um, yeah, if you go to westernskynets.com, that's not our shop um, site. It directs you to the different shops, which um, Heather and I have separate. We each have Etsy's, and then I also use Big Cartel as well. And come join our Ravelry group, which lists also some of the shops where we wholesale yarns to as well. Okay. And maybe there's one near you. And uh, we also do knit-alongs and share projects and things like that. And Great. please do feel free to announce like your shop updates and things oh, like that okay. in our group, because especially when you have the different 
yarn bases and non-superwash, I would love to know about that because I am definitely exploring in those directions. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's good to know. I don't ever want to spam anyone. So. <laughs> no, I don't consider it spam. I try to be very careful on Ravelry and, you know, be a knitter, not always, you know, a dyer. In that right. Sense. right. And we appreciate that, too. Yeah, absolutely. So, again, thank you so much. We just love you. And we will, of course, have links to all of your various sites in the show notes because Charlene's so good at that. <laughs> and thank you, everybody, thank for you. listening Thanks to for this episode. Me. We hope you have a great two weeks until the next time. And happy knitting. Happy knitting. You can find us on iTunes at Yarniacs Podcast. Visit our blog with show notes at yarniacs.com. We have a growing Ravelry group, and you can follow us on Twitter at Yarniacs. Goodbye and good knits. <laughs>